I don't mean to embarrass you, sister, but I love it when people call you at church. Isn't that fun? I, I, uh, I was at a funeral service one time uh, at First Baptist Church, downtown Pueblo, and uh, uh, it was a, a veteran that I had ministered to. And uh, in the midst of the church service, the phone went off in the middle of the congregation. And uh, the lady looked at it and decided to answer it. And she was talking on the phone and the pastor was trying to preach and finally he just stepped back and <laughs> and finally she looked up and saw what was going on. She said, I I'm gonna need to call you back. <laughs> so, but I don't mean to embarrass you, please. I just, it just struck me as funny, I just had to share it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with them to Luke the second chapter verses eight through 19 and while we're turning, I wanted to share a story with you that I read while I was preparing for the sermon today. And it goes like this. A young man named Avraham Greenbaum lost his entire family in the Holocaust. And after the war, he came to America. But because of all the things that had happened to him, he wanted nothing to do with Judaism or religion. He changed his name to Aaron Green, moved to Alabama, and married a woman there who was also Jewish. The day his oldest son, Jeffrey, turned 13 in 1958, he, they were not going to celebrate his bar mitzvah. Instead, Aaron decided to recognize the day by taking Jeffrey to the local mall and buying him anything that he wanted there. When they went to a big electronics store and were browsing, Jeffrey's eye looked across the hall and saw an antique shop, and his eye caught track of something called a menorah. And many of you know what that is. It's during the Feast of Hanukkah. Uh, it's seven candles, and they light one in celebration of, of the Jewish uh, uh, holiday of Hanukkah. And Jeffrey saw that, and he was mesmerized, and he couldn't take his eye off it. He told his father, I don't want anything from the electronics store. I want to go across to the antique store. And when they got there, the boy pointed to the old menorah and said, that's what I want for my bar mitzvah. And his father couldn't believe it. He was letting his child purchase anything he wanted in the whole mall, and this is what he was choosing? He tried to talk him out of it, but couldn't. Aaron asked the shop owner what was the price of the menorah. To his surprise, the man said, I'm sorry, that's not for sale. Aaron said, what do you mean? This is a store. He offered a lot of money for it, and again, the owner refused. This time explaining, I found out the history of the menorah. A man constructed it during the war, and it took him months to gather the wood. It survived, but he did not. It's going to be a collector's item. It's not for sale. Meanwhile, Jeffrey kept telling his father, that's what I want. All I want is the menorah. So Aaron Green kept offering money until the owner finally agreed to sell. The boy was so excited, he took the menorah to his room and played with it every day. One day, the parents heard a loud crash from Jeffrey's room. They ran upstairs and saw the menorah was shattered to pieces. And the father yelled at his son for being so careless as he had paid so much money for it. Afterwards, Aaron felt bad about his reaction. He suggested to his son, let us try to glue it back together. And while holding one of the pieces, the father noticed a piece of paper wedged inside. He pulled it out and he started reading. Immediately, tears came to his eyes. And then those eyes rolled in the back of his head and he passed out cold. And his family was surprised, and they took out a bucket of water, 
And they splashed it on his face and revived him. And they said, what happened, he said. And Aaron said, let me read you this letter. It's written in Yiddish, so I'll translate. To whomever finds this menorah, I want you to know I constructed it, not knowing if I would ever have the opportunity to light it. Who knows if I will live till Hanukkah to see it being kindled. In all probability, going through this war, I will not. But if providence brings this menorah to your hands, you who are reading this letter, promise me you will light it for me and for us, my family, and for those who gave their lives to serve God Almighty. Aaron Green looked up to his family and said, a choked up voice with tears still in his eyes, this letter is signed by my father. And they were all speechless. The family recognized the divine providence involved. How could they not? The hand of God was undeniable. Taking a menorah from Europe and bringing it back to a family and returning it to them in a remote mall in Alabama. Inspiring their spiritual journey and restoring one man's faith. Please read with me our passage. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off. And they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his most precious word today. Many of you know I belong to the Veterans of Foreign Wars and it seems like the VFW brings in a lot of people from all walks of life. Uh, I've got a few firefighters in my uh, VFW. And they talk about something called a flashpoint. And a flashpoint, or an ignition point, is where the fire first started. And firemen can tell you, when they fly a drone over the area, that you can see where the fire started. If it was natural, or if it came from a campfire, it starts off in a small area and then it goes out like a V and then it, it engulfs the whole forest. And they said, we can fly over that area with a drone and we can see the V pointing to where the fire started. And I want to let you know that this passage that we're reading about tonight, or today, excuse me, talks about the flashpoint of Christianity and where it started and I want to let you know something as true as me standing here in front of you, Christianity is under attack. And while the enemy will not attack directly, he will poke and prod 
at the foundations of our faith, hoping to bring it down crashing someday and cause us all to lose our faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they poke and prod is this very passage of scripture we just read. And they say, could the birth of Christ have taken place in December? Well, we don't think so. Did this passage take place in December? And they start quoting things that they think they know about the history of the region. And they try to tell us that Jesus was not born in December. Jesus, we, we got it all wrong in our Christianity. And they poke and prod at our faith. But I want to let you know some things about the date. First off, remember, Israel was on a lunar calendar. Anyone who has celebrated Easter knows that Easter floats around from year to year. And Easter is celebrated at the same time as the Jews celebrate Passover. That means that Easter for us is celebrated sometime in March or April. And in fact, next year it will be celebrated on March 31st. When Rome took Israel as a protectorate, and that's a nice way of saying that Israel surrendered before they could destroy the country. When Rome took Israel as a protectorate, it introduced the Roman calendar, which had 10 months at first, then added two months, making it a 355-day calendar with the accounting month of Mercedonius added every three years. This confuses the issue for many biblical scholars and for many of us. And what I want you to know is that many of us were raised on farms. And many of us had cows and goats and sheep. And we know things about how to raise livestock. And we know things about how things come to pass, especially when it comes to lambs. And I want everybody to remember that lambs are usually born in April and they're ready to travel to market by the eighth month. So let's do the math, shall we? Born in April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Eight months. Many atheists state that there was no valid reason for shepherds to be outside Bethlehem taking lambs to market is an extremely valid reason. This was their big payday. Some of those lambs were sacrificial lambs meant for the temple altar in Jerusalem on Passover. Another thing that they poke at is that no shepherd would leave their flock no matter what the reason. Normally, I would agree with that opinion. But many of you know I have lived in Israel. When I was there, I made it my business to visit every site that I could that was in the Holy Bible. I ate a Sabbath meal very close to where the original Last Supper was held. I visited the tomb of Christ. I saw Golgotha, which is the name of the crucifixion site. I stood on this very field where the angels appeared to these shepherds. And the field was a staging area where shepherds brought their field to, or flocks to market in the Bethlehem market. This field was set up for the flocks with rock walls that were too high for the lambs to jump over and escape, but they had an opening where the shepherd would curl up and sleep at night. And the, the sheep would step on him and wake him when they tried to leave the enclosure. If a shepherd slept too soundly and the lamb got away, he most certainly would leave his flock and go find that lost sheep. 
At the time of Jesus' birth, there was no outside lighting. No one was burning candles. And the baker's hearth would have been cold. The light show that was the angel's announcement would have been seen and heard to anybody outside with absolutely no distraction. The text we just read stated that an angel of the Lord stood before them and they were terrified. Let me put that into perspective for you. Many of you know that the kingdom of Israel split after King Solomon into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Judah was the area around uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. In 722 AD, the Assyrians totally conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, totally conquered it. And they were on their way to Judah. And King Hezekiah was a very righteous man. And he got on his knees before God and prayed to him and said, please spare my country. The Assyrians are going to destroy it. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm going to send an angel to take care of this. And most of us think, well, why don't he send an army of angels? He only needed to send one. Because that angel fell upon the Assyrians, and in one night, 185 Assyrians were killed. And when the army woke up the next morning, they looked around at all the dead bodies and they ran for their lives. And that is historical record. Maybe people don't understand what happened exactly, but they do know this. The Assyrians showed up at the gates of Judah and then they ran for their lives. That's what one angel did. Now imagine you've been hearing the story of what angels can do your whole life. And all of a sudden, you're watching your sheep, and an angel appears in front of you to these shepherds, and they were terrified. If I was standing in the presence of something that could destroy me and everyone around me and my whole city and 185,000 people in one night, terrified doesn't really sum up what I would feel. They were scared. They were on their bottoms, sitting on the ground, terrified. They didn't know what was going on. But you can assure that the shepherds listened to every word. When angels tell you to go to Bethlehem and visit the newborn Messiah, you can, you can believe, despite what the naysayers tell you, that these angels went to Bethlehem and they were the first witnesses to Jesus' birth. In a very real and special way, it was appropriate for these shepherds to go see the shepherd of the world. Shepherds were naturally the spreaders of news in their society, and these shepherds were the first to tell the gospel message to anyone who would listen. And the title of my sermon is, What the, Angel, what the Shepherds Saw. And what the shepherds saw was a foretaste of heaven. They saw beings that were capable of destroying Bethlehem, Israel, and the entire world, who were instead giving praise to God. They had heard about something that they had been waiting for their entire lives. Messiah had come. Most of the people that lived in Israel believed that Messiah would come to conquer the world and set things right, that nations would bow their knee to their God. And as God's chosen people, they would have a special place in the new world order. And what they heard was a different message than what their rabbis taught. Remember, they were shepherds. 
and they were not well thought of. Many people avoided them altogether. They were the dregs of society, herding sheep, and sheep in their natural environment were some of the dirtiest animals on earth. But they were the ones who received the message. And I'm sure after they sold their sheep, concluded their business, and they were headed back home, one of them must have said, why us? Through Luke's account of the night of Christ's birth, we hear a heavenly choir of angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. The army of angels sang to shepherds on the night watch. The audience God chose is significant, and a detail that Dr. Luke undoubtedly held close to his Gentile heart. Night watch shepherds were the most undesirable class of people, and they perfectly represented what Jesus came to accomplish. Here, a heavenly choir of angels sang to lowly, undeserving shepherds. The hymn that the angels sang that night struck a chord in every human heart that has heard it. People began to chant the phrase in worship services around 130 AD. In medieval times, French shepherds called this phrase out to each other when they were watching their flocks of sheep outside. Hark, the herald angels sing was written by Charles Wesley in 1739. Also breathed anthem, anthems of the army of angels singing of Christ's birth to shepherds in Bethlehem. The scene of this song was set better than any Hollywood stage could have been constructed. It has not only carried it throughout the centuries, but inspired others to write songs about it. Just imagine a heavenly choir of angels breaking through the dark stillness of night to sing glory to God and announce Jesus' birth on earth. Let me lay it out for you. A group of shepherds is sitting there around a warm fire. It's quiet. The city of Bethlehem is nearby, but there's nothing going on. It's so quiet that you literally could hear a pin drop. And then, in the midst of that quiet, <laughs> and they looked up, and there was the angel telling them about God's blessed message. Not a note of that imagery was wasted. All having meaning as our intentional God forever broke through the darkness through Jesus our Savior. In a society driven by imagery, we have maintained this scene through the power of the word. And us, my brothers and sisters, in the faith, what the angels sang and what the shepherds saw teaches us that God is interested in our very lives. Just about the time you think that God is not paying attention to what's going on in your life, you find out he really cares. Just about the time you wonder if you're right before God, God shows you that you are. And not because of anything great that you did or what you saw, 
but because of who Christ is. He gave his son to not only save us, but to give us an abundant life. A life where we surrender our wants and we give them over to him. And the life he gives us in return is nothing that we would have ever picked for ourselves. But that life is the only life that is pleasing to our souls, gives peace to our spirit, and allows us to make a difference in this life that we could have never done on our own. And in closing, I want to read you a story called A Tandem Bike Ride with God. The author is unknown, but he said, I used to think of my God as an observer, my judge keeping track of the things I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Jesus, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Jesus was in back helping me pedal. I didn't know just when. It was when he suggested that we change sides. But life has not been the same since I took the back seat to Jesus, my Lord. He makes life exciting. When I had control, I thought I knew the way. It was rather boring but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when Jesus took the lead... He knew the delightful long cuts, up mountains and through rocky places, and at breakthrough speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it often looked like madness, he said, pedal. I was worried and anxious, and he asked. And I asked him, where are you taking me? And he laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, He'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people whose gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. And they gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. And he said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. And so I did to the people we met. And I found in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, jump to clear high rocks, fly to shorten scary passages, and I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, and I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face, and with my delightful com constant companion, Jesus. And when I'm sure I can't do it anymore, he looks at me and smiles and says, pedal, just pedal. A passage of scripture, when you really read it, breaks through your darkness, tears away your doubt, and lets you know Jesus is with you. Whether you open your eyes to see him, or you close them in your fears and your doubt. Jesus is with each and every one of us. And as this Christmas season is upon us, as the candle of hope burns, let us remember that. God loved each and every one of us so much. 
And he gave his son to die. Gave his son to show us how to live. Gave his son to encourage us that while this life on earth seems long, and I'm 67 years old, it's pretty short. He has a short amount of time to teach us what we need to know. And I know one day, but remember, our church is also God's church, and the church on earth is also the church in heaven. And one day, as we part ways, we will meet again someday. And in that reunion, as the scripture teaches us, with joy we shall see that all our problems, all our fears and death have been swallowed in sweet victory. Brother Zach, will you take it?